0: Good evening, fans. Tim Kitrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Woo boom shakalaka.
1: My mom gave birth in 1985. I was blue within a Pac Man. Ghost family alive. In the cold war, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart, we'll rake and rampage the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary, the arcade was my church. Hi Rob, can you hear me? I can, can you hear me?
0: I can perfect.
1: Excellent, how are you?
0: I'm fine, how's it going?
1: Very good, thank you. Yeah, I literally just got back from Warsaw uh yesterday, so I'm uh you know, catching up on emails and all of that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> Glad to catch you first thing back in the office.
1: <laughs> yeah, no yeah, good stuff. It's good timing.
0: <laughs> uh tell me this before we get started. You're you're located in the UK, is that right?
1: Yeah, n- near to Manchester.
0: Okay. Tell me this, why do I only hear positive news come out of the UK game industry? And th- that's a serious <laughs> question like a- around here there's always something negative to s- to read about or see. Uh you guys not so much.
1: Uh, well, that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to hear that. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've been doing it for a long time, as um, same as you guys, but we've got a slightly different history because um, uh, we had different platforms at the beginning in the 1980s, and uh, we didn't have, for example, the video game Crash of 84 just wasn't a thing here because we were on different platforms. True. Um, so yeah, we've we've uh, got got a kind of rich history in it. I don't know why, um, in particular, we'd have only good news coming out, but um, I don't know. I don't know the answer <laughs> to that. <laughs> I, I mean, we do have we do have government support now these days, um, tax breaks for the industry, uh, that kind of thing. So um, I, that all that kind of stuff helps.
0: Well, that's one thing I want to get into. Uh, I, I want to talk about your background a little bit before we jump into the company uh, in general. And yeah. uh, But you, you've got to do some pretty interesting stuff. You've, you've been around about 15 years professionally, give or take?
1: Yeah, 2005, so almost 15 years.
0: And uh, what have you done, and, and who have you done it for?
1: Uh, right, so I started a company called Blade Interactive, and we were doing at the time... The World Snooker Championship video games. Uh, snooker is not a big sport in North America, but it's pretty big in the UK and right. in China, actually. And so we ha- did the official licensed snooker video games. So I did a series of those and then uh, did a game called Hydrophobia. And the company kind of changed names throughout that development to Dark Energy Digital. And uh, that was published by Microsoft on the Xbox 360. And we had. Uh, Um, a really advanced fluid dynamics engine for the water physics in that game. And then uh, we did a game called Pool Nation as well, uh, which was still in development when I left Dark Energy and joined TT Games. And uh, then at TT Games, I was a game director on um, a series of uh, LEGO titles, uh, mostly for the handheld platforms for 3DS and Vita and iPad uh, at the time. So I did LEGO Lord of the Rings. Lego Legends of Chima, uh, Lego The Hobbit, Lego Batman 3, Lego Jurassic World, and Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens. And then I started uh, this company, Huey Games, in 2016.
0: So cool. I I love that you got to work on the Lego stuff, and you were uh, basically a game director? Yeah,
1: uh, I was one of the game directors at the company. So there's um, there's usually uh, several Lego projects in development at any one time, and each one of them would have a a game director at the helm.
0: Obviously, that's that's so cool. They must have, by this time, had a pretty solid playbook built that you uh, worked from. I mean, did you get to do a lot of creative stuff at all with these games, or was it pretty much locked into the, the formula of these games? For
1: the LEGO titles, I mean, um, both, uh, if, if I'm being honest, it depended on the title and how much time we had to produce it, because obviously... We're often trying to hit a, a movie release um, in the theaters or a, a DVD Blu-ray release. Um, so, you know, you've got a very um, rigid time to stick to because that's the business model to match those um, releases. So let me think. Lord of the Rings. Well, it was also the hardware because Lego Lord of the Rings, for example, we were doing it on 3DS and Nintendo, the original DS at the time. And so um, we were doing it on a different engine from the console guys. We we couldn't possibly, you know, copy exactly what they were doing. So we got to be more creative because, um, you know, we had to do we, you know, had to do our own versions, our own interpretations that would work on the, those platforms. So that was great fun. And Chima um, Chima was a handheld-only game, so there was no console version. So that was probably the one where I got to be most creative because. It was a Lego's own uh, IP. There was a Cartoon Network TV series. And basically I got to pitch a a storyline which took place between two of the seasons of the Cartoon Network TV series. So I got to go out to the Lego in Denmark and pitch, you know, my version of the storyline to them that I'd worked on with the team. And they loved it and, you know, got to build that game completely from from scratch. So that was that was one where it's very creative Hobbit was, again, is a, a bit like Lord of the Rings. And at this point, we were moving on the handheld side to doing more touchscreen focus. Mm-hmm. So it was completely different from the consoles. And I think LEGO Marvel sort of pioneered that uh, more touchscreen-centric approach. So it was more of a kind of, not isometric, but a, a kind of higher camera angle.
0: Sure.
1: Um, and I uh, you know, I had this idea, which I'd actually come up with in Lord of the Rings, again, that I worked on with the team to do a different kind of world map, which was sort of like... Inspired by the, you know, the Mario Brothers world maps, but on a kind of grander scale. So you had these nodes joined up by Lego pathways and you could go down different paths and find, um, you know, find different animations and all the different levels on that. And that was fantastic fun. So that was that was very creative. And then what came next? Uh, Batman, we were transitioning the way that we worked on the games and sort of moving more towards following consoles I think we dropped the DS by this point, so it was only 3DS and Vita. So we were trying you know, we we did do more of our own stuff on that, but we were starting to follow the console a bit more. And then by the time we got to Jurassic World, we were we were more or less just um following the design of the console version. So that was a bit less a bit less creative um compared to some of the earlier ones. And this continued for on to Star Wars as well. And I, I think Star Wars Force Awakens, I left the company before that project had wrapped up. So it was, um, you know, there were two or three months left to run on that. And my friend um, took over to finish that uh, project after I left. So, um, yeah, so it kind of varied from project to project.
0: Yeah, and that's a really cool impact to have on the the Lego game series in general. Um, It's very interesting to me that you got that kind of experience basically providing a similar experience for different platforms because something yep. i noticed when i look at the huey games site you guys have a great track record of bringing games to like every major platform possible and i was kind of wondering what's your secret because a lot of indie indie developers and publishers struggle to do that
1: <laughs> yeah i mean so uh, i mean it was a struggle uh, so for hyper sentinel we um we we got it funded on kickstarter um, we have a fantastic retro gaming community, which is connected to um, my my dad was in the industry in the 80s, and he, he's he got a sort of a following that, that um, we're interested in the title. So we were able to fund it on Kickstarter, and we made the decision to go for a simultaneous release across all platforms, which was a lot of hard work. And of course, we do have the advantage of having been around in the industry um, a long time, we're able to... You know, to, we've got a lot of contacts. We're able to talk to the platform holders, and we're able to get dev kits for all the platforms because we've got a track record, uh, which is is not necessarily the case if you're coming into you know the indie scene fresh without that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we had all the dev kits, and basically just worked worked really hard, and um, had to juggle different platforms. You know, work with some contractors. We probably could have got the game out a lot sooner if we'd done a staggered release rather than simultaneous. But we went for the simultaneous release and it would probably meant that the game was more polished as well so just i think having the luxury of a track record uh, hard work and you know the experience of, of of having done it many times before is is what it comes down to
0: andrew was your your father that's that's right that's right okay so he was sort of a living legend over there <laughs> when it when it came to 80s and 90s uh, stuff so it's it's cool that He got, first of all, I'm assuming he got you into this as well.
1: Well, it's funny. In a way, I mean, obviously I grew up with it. And I remember going to the warehouse where, you know, they used to, his company used to duplicate their own cassettes. And cassettes were a much more popular format in the UK for things like the Commodore 64 than uh, floppy disks for whatever reason. Right. Um, And climbing amongst the cassettes and picking things to take home. my my sister and I and you know going to trade shows in London and seeing the launch of the Amiga CD32 and with Pimble Fantasies on it which was one of their titles and all of this stuff so I certainly grew up around it but he would say that he probably tried to discourage me from joining the industry (laughs) because he knew how difficult it is how much hard work and stress can be involved but of course you know we all want to do what we want to do and it was my passion from a very early age to to design games and i i mean i actually remember sort of sticking bits of paper together on on my living room floor and designing what i thought was a great game and (laughs) uh, you know saying "Dad, you know are you gonna release this game that i've designed and he and he's sort of saying yeah yeah sure (laughs) yeah and then after sort of two weeks of me two or three weeks of me persisting realizing oh okay he's not you know this he's not gonna (laughs) let he's not gonna let this go and having to let me down gently that actually me drawing some pictures on a piece of paper was not quite sufficient um for them to go and make the game but um yeah, so I grew up around it, I suppose. But he would say he tried to discourage me. So that's certainly what he says these days.
0: <laughs> I love that because I have a son and he's already seeing what I'm doing and I'm sure he's going to want to get involved. And I'm sure I'm going to say, no, don't, you know, do something else. You know, your, <laughs> yeah. your mom's in medicine, go into medicine, that'd be fine. And, and I'm yeah. sure he'll want to do games as well. So, But this gives me hope because it, it looks like it's going well.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. It's I've been very fortunate. Um, I've had, you know, I've had a really fun Career and I, I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best industry in the world to, to work in.
0: Very cool. So it, it looks like you guys were able to sort of relaunch with, uh, with help from the UK Games Fund. Tell me how that works.
1: Yeah. So the UK Games Fund is a over, over here is a government-backed organization, and they provide grants to help get indie developers. Uh, Started really, and so we um, pitched uh, a game concept to them, and we were given a grant. To um, help us build a prototype, and we're actually still working on that game, believe it or not. We're um, we're we're uh, really ramping that up again now. So um, yeah, that was great. That really got us uh, got us going. And because it's a grant, you know, if you if you win it, that you get the money, and you don't have to you don't have to pay it back, which is very rare in this industry. So it's yeah. um, it's a fantastic organisation, and I've gone on to work, you know, help out that organisation with some of their other programs, like their Transfuser program which is um designed to help sort of stu- student teams out of university to build prototypes and i've been involved as an industry reviewer to you know to help review and and to help guide some of those those teams for uh the first three years of that running so um it's been fantastic it's a, it's, it's really great we're very lucky uh, to have that support here in the uk
0: yeah that's extremely uh nice that that they were able to help you and now that you're uh, given an opportunity to uh, help others along as well. I like to see that.
1: Yeah and they and they've got a great community. I, I mean I went along we were nominated they they do an, an award ceremony uh each year and we went along last October up to Dundee and then you know not there's the award ceremony itself but also you know a day of kind of uh, talks and and um panels and that kind of thing. So they're really um doing a great job of uh you know supporting the uk industry
0: you guys act as a uh publisher you're you're getting these games from outside developers or or are you also doing some internal work how does that work
1: oh yeah no we're absolutely doing internal work so um uh hyper sentinel we sort of i'd say we co-developed it with jonathan port it was his game initially and he's he's coming from um you know couple of decades of experience as a programmer in the business software world but as a you know as a gaming fan and as a fan of some of dad's games from back in the day and hyper sentinel you know he was inspired by uridium which was a game dad's company published in 1986 and he was inspired by titles like defender and r type and so um you know i met him at the manchester indie dev uh, drink meetup which we have, have every month and he showed me this game obviously i saw the connection you know with the inspiration in terms of iridium, uh, i knew that that would appeal to our community who had already backed um a book that we'd done on uh kickstarter which was you know dad's book telling the story about his his career in in, in the 80s and 90s uh so i knew it would appeal to that community and i said look let's work together on this you know it, the, the game looks great we can help you develop it we can help you bring it to the consoles because he was just looking at you know to release it as an iPad game at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, we can use our experience to help to really polish this game up to be as good as it can. So uh, I, I guess we sort of co-developed that one with him and, and, and when we did the publishing and we've also worked with James Lightfoot, another indie developer to, to port his, um, his adventure game, um, the mystery of woolly mountain onto Nintendo switch and to publish it for him there. Uh, so we, we, we do like to do a bit of that, but fundamentally, we are all the time working in the background on a couple of really exciting games. So we're building up, we're building up our team. Um, it's, it was important for us to, with Hyper Sentinel, for example, to get a game out there. You know, get a game out there, get it under our belts, show that we're serious, show that we can do it cross-platform. While we're working on these these bigger projects, which are um, you know looking really exciting uh, at the moment. So um, yes, we're very much developing, but doing a, a bit of publishing as well.
0: And it, it sounds like the momentum is definitely building and, and things are looking very good. You guys are clearly skilled in doing Kickstarter funding. It looks like you've had several very successful projects there. Yeah. When I saw that you guys were doing a cassette tape, <laughs> uh, <laughs> USB drive, I guess it looks like, yeah. for one of the games, I thought, that is so cool. And when I looked it up, I went, I know what they're getting at, but I have to actually look up, uh, like uh like you said, what... Uh, systems, it was common to to have cassette games because it wasn't as common over here at all. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and I thought, what a cool thing to have! Uh, I would I would still order one of those in a heartbeat. You know?
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, the Kickstarter for Hyper Sentinel. We had this. Uh, I, I had this idea of doing the USB cassette uh, because you know I remember from my childhood all the games on. The systems here, which was the Commodore 64, which I know you guys had uh, over in North America, but also the ZX Spectrum, which was a huge system over here, which was, you know, very much a British system. Right. And almost all the games were on cassettes until well into the you know 90s um, it was cassettes 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 and so I knew that that would appeal to our audience which is it is UK centric because obviously back in those days it was they were really separate markets it wasn't the global world that we have today Mm -hmm. so we were shipping games all around Europe and Australia and so on but not so much in the in the US and um, uh, they're they're in Canada a little bit but not so much in the US Uh, you know a few games went out there but so I knew it would appeal to that community. So we did it for Hyper Sentinel, the collectors' USB cassette, and over here we have a, a fantastic, thriving retro scene where we have meetups all the time, and uh, it was such a huge formative thing for people who are now sort of in their forties or fifties who have massive collections, you know, in their basements or in their in their um, attics of cassettes from the 1980s you know whereas you might find collectors over there have got cartridges you know in their retro gaming collection we've got collectors over here with shelves and shelves of cassettes as well and so i knew that this usb cassette format would literally slot right into their existing collections (laughs) and it's almost a continuation of okay you played Houston games in the 80s here we are we're back as huey games now and you can continue collecting games that we've done and so after we did that with Hyper Sentinel and I saw how much enthusiasm there was for it, after we did Hyper Sentinel as a strictly limited box release on PS4 with the, with the Strictly Limited team, I thought, huh, I see what Strictly Limited are doing here. Then, you know, same a bit like limited run games, you know, they're giving a, a path for games that were previously only digital releases to have a limited physical run. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, we can do that for PC, Mac games but rather than doing it on a boring old you know, DVD or whatever, let's do it as a collector's USB cassette because <laughs> it's so cool, it's so retro, and the games that we're doing it with are all neo-retro games, and we're doing a whole series of them. And it slots into the people's collections here in the UK, uh, so people are going crazy for them. And it has the advantage of we can put a whole bunch of bonus features on the USB drive. So we've got, you know... The developer diaries documentaries soundtracks artwork so it's a really fantastic way of doing that kind of physical you know a limited physical run in a unique uh, format
0: and and what a nice treat for people in an increasingly digital uh scene you know, yep. a lot of people don't have anything to show for their games anymore at all so That's I-
1: right, absolutely. And and so the first one we're doing, it's live on Kickstarter right now. Um, it was funded in, in 48 hours, and it's a game called Droid Assault from developers called Puppy Games, who do a lot of neo-retro games. And Droid Assault was inspired by one of the uh, most uh, cherished t- Houston titles from the 1980s, a bit like Hyper Sentinel was. And so, you know, um, you know, it's great to work with um, the puppy games guys and other developers moving forwards. And for them, it's it's, you know, we're basically saying, look, we're going to do all the work and you're going to get some money and you're going to get a boxed version of your game that was previously only digital. So it, it works for them as well. So we're really excited about it.
0: Yeah, you brought up a good point. They were completely separate markets for a long time over there and over here. And I've had an opportunity for one thing, i had never heard of the spectrum at all until I was a grown up. Yeah, you know, I was, yep. I was well into my 20s when I heard about it. And I thought, wow, it sounds amazing. Yeah, you know, uh very much like our Commodore 64. A lot of people started their career uh learning to make their own little little projects on these computers. Yes. So there are a couple of really good books about that time, and I'm, I'm glad you guys have one as well. I've I've read most of the one about Ocean. Yes. Uh, there's a very good book around about that. You mentioned R-Type earlier. There's a good uh, sort of an indie book by uh, Robert Pape, who did one of the ports for R-Type uh, f- straight from the arcade, and he worked on a Rampage port also. Uh, I think that book was called It's Behind You. Okay, right. A goof on one of the old advertisements. Yeah, Brilliant what is the name of uh you guys book so it's called hints and tips for video game
1: pioneers and uh the reason it's called that is because actually uh the way dad got started in the industry um in 1980 was he wrote um before the zx spectrum came out from sinclair they had released the zx 80 then the zx 81 um in 1980 and 1981 and instead of it being the ZX eighty two in eighty two because it had colours, they called it the ZX Spectrum. That's how it how it went. Hmm. And Dad got started by writing a book called, in nineteen eighty called Hints and Tips for the ZX eighty, which was you know a programmers' hints and tips. Which was when I say a book, I mean he uh, he'd written it. My my mother, who was pregnant with me at the time, had typed it up, and they'd gone to uh, a photocopying you know, a print shop with a photocopier in it. And photocopiers were new and exciting in 1980. <laughs> and they photocopied the whole book and and stapled it together. And they sold it by a mail order by taking out tiny ads in in computing magazines. So, you know, that's what I mean by a book. Sure. Um, and then he did hints and tips for the ZX81. And so we thought, wouldn't it be cool to come back all these years later and to talk about the history and call it Hints and Tips for Video Game Pioneers? So it talks. It's quite a personal story. It talks about you know dad's whole journey through the industry, but it also has um, commentary and analysis from from more than twenty retro gaming icons, including many many of the the developers, uh, some of the journalists who were writing in the magazines around the time. Um, So uh, yeah, it's and it's been it's been very well received and and very popular. So we're we're really uh, proud and and happy of that. Um, Yeah, it's been great.
0: I, I love that because it, it's great. There are so many good stories from that time period. I mean, like the the story about the book itself is is very good. Nothing was easy back then. <laughs> you know, everything was very difficult. <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's and it's a cool story. I mean, basically, what happened after that is he'd written these books, and then um somebody phoned him up and said, "We're starting a magazine called Sinclair User." Which is gonna be, you know, you've got the ZX, the ZX Spectrum was just about to come out, so they're starting a magazine called Sinclair User. Hey, you've written these books. Do you wanna write a column in the magazine? And, you know, he said yes. And and the column was called Houston's Helpline. The company he'd started was called Houston Consultants because he'd previously done some statistical consultant consulting work for people. Um and people who read the magazine and he wrote his column in every issue of the, that there ever was of that magazine for, you know, 11 or 12 years. And people who read the magazine started sending him cassettes and saying, Oh, do you want to publish my game? And mm-hmm. he said, Oh, I didn't know I was a games publisher, but apparently I am. So off we go.
0: <laughs> Tell me, has he sort of kept up with the uh, changing development technology at all? Like, does he know anything about unity? Does he still do it for fun? What, what's going on? Uh, no, not really.
1: He, so His second company was 21st Century Entertainment, which did games like Pimble Dreams and Pimble Fantasies, which you might have had a bit more in the US. Sure. And it closed that company in 1998, I think. And I think by that time, he was a bit kind of burnt out. If you read the book, you know, you'll hear how he was really burnt out. And, you know, the first company he had 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 gone bust and, you know, it, it, it had left its sort of scars on him mm. and he kind of just wanted to leave and do something else and move on with his life for a while so he went and um he had uh, he, he went into internet development and did some had a, a company doing web um software in the early 2000s and then he started uh, an accountancy company which is still running to, uh, still running now that he's you know passed on to my brother in law and, and he's just retired. So um so no I, 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 he he pro- he hasn't really kept up with the industry because he just wanted to go and forget about it. Yeah. Until of course I came and tr- started dragging him back into it by sort of suggesting <laughs> he write this book. So now he's uh you know getting sort of half dragged back into it um th- th- thanks to me.
0: <laughs> well, that that seems to follow the uh, the recipe for any living legend. They eventually, you know, it, it drives them a little bit crazy, and they decide to do other yep. things for a while. And-
1: absolutely. Well, Dad and I have literally just returned from Warsaw in Poland, where we were invited to to speak at um, Pixel Heaven 2019. And there, amongst many other great speakers, was um, David Pleasance, who was the uh, managing Director of Commodore UK, telling exactly this story about all of this, you know, how he did the Commodore 64 and the Commodore Amiga, and and how, from his perspective, you know, the management of Commodore International had no no business plan and didn't know what they were doing, and and how you know eventually he got fed up with it and he just left the industry and went to Australia, started a restaurant, and, <laughs> and forgot about it until you know a couple of years ago somebody dragged him back into it and convinced him to write uh, a book. So I think it's quite a common story.
0: Yeah, it it reminds me also of um Ken and his wife uh Roberta Williams of uh Sierra Online. Right. When they when they did all their stuff and then they decided to just buy a boat and sail around the world and write books. <laughs> like that was their life yeah. for a long time. I don't think they ever went back to it. It it's, yeah. ver- it's very fun to uh hear about what all all these big industry players end up doing cuz it gives us hope that we can one day uh leave it all behind as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is true, yeah. This is true. It's a, it's an interesting, um, it's a potent mix of, you know, when you're in it, you, it's the best thing in the world. But when it goes, when it goes wrong, it can, it, uh, um, especially in those days, people, you know, really got burnt by it. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they can just want to, it can get quite stressful and they just want to uh, leave it all behind.
0: Who is the uh, third founder on your side? I'm sorry, I don't have his name in front of me.
1: That, so that's John Ogden. So um, he's our technical director. So I worked with John for six and a half years at blade and dark energy um before i went to tt and he went to the bbc and he actually worked on the iplayer you know video streaming app on game consoles um there i think um and so we'd worked together before and uh, yeah he's our technical director and he's got oh i don't know 17 years of experience of building graphics um and building game engines from the ground up you know before unity came along for example so he he knows his stuff
0: I, I looked at his uh, description online and I didn't really know BBC had that much like, you know, cutting edge technology stuff to work on. But they seem like they do pretty interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they do. Uh, I mean, I think the main thing he did was they have a, uh, you know, a streaming app, uh, as most of the TV channels do these days. And so he was um, leading up the team that was getting that streaming app onto PlayStation and Xbox here in the UK. So it's, it's called BBC iPlayer their streaming app. So I think that was the main thing he did there, but they do other stuff, you know, they do VR things and, and various other bits and bobs. Um, but they're quite a, they're quite a strange and unique organization because they're, um, they have this kind of state charter of responsibility. So it's, uh, they're not, uh, they're not a typical capitalist organization.
0: Right. I, I think that's what it is. Cause I, I hear about them. I see certain products of theirs. I like, and I think that's cool, but I feel like I can never get a hold of exactly what they're doing. You know?
1: yeah they're, they're so they're they are they are funded the b b c is funded by basically by the people here in the u k and they are they're so they're not allowed to they're not allowed any commercials um you're not, they're not allowed to that they have to you know represent things in a balanced way and try and um represent the news for example in in a non-biased way so it's it's supposed to be giving people something they they can trust that hasn't been bought and by you know sure. where the opinions haven't been bought by somebody so that's the kind of the concept
0: very cool stuff uh, so when it comes to you the publishing process for you guys you mentioned you work with contractors like what did the teams end up looking like when you're really in the thick of it
1: yeah i mean um it depends on the project. So uh, on Hyper Sentinel, we ha- worked with, you know, we had a guy come in to do the music for the game. Um, that was Fractures Audio, um, Rob Fenn. And we worked with uh, another former colleague of ours, John Reynolds, who helped with uh, porting the games to um, some of the consoles. And um, we have worked with, yeah, other friends of mine on audio for our new games, we work with uh, you know i'm commissioning various artists at the moment to work on some of the games we're working on so it depends on the project and of course what we're what we're uh, building towards at the moment is we're building these these exciting new games where we're working very closely behind the scenes with some big publishers um you know g- closing in on on hopefully doing some deals and building um and you know building a bigger team moving forwards
0: and that's something I wanted to learn as well. I mean, you guys are off to a great start, but I'm wondering, you know, how do you want to end up? Do you want to make it a, a much larger team and get to do, you know, hopefully even bigger stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, the aim is to make it a bigger team. My, uh, I think our objective is to have a team which is big enough to do some really, uh, I hate that. I hate the term triple I, but you know, that's <laughs> what, what, I, we need a better term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, triple I games. A team that's big enough to to uh, to, to do that, um, but not so big that it becomes impersonal and you need to put a load of kind of bureaucracy in place because, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced that as well. And it's great and it works for certain uh, projects. But, we, you know, the thing that I've always loved is working with a sort of uh, small to medium sized team where you know everybody, you're all huddled together and um, you just uh, are having a great time making games together. Uh, without having to go through layers of, you know, uh, bureaucracy and, and get sign off from all sorts of different <laughs> departments and what have you. Yeah, there's a there's a sweet spot size that we're aiming for. And um, we'll know what it is when we get to it, I hope. <laughs> but I've got <laughs> an idea in my head.
0: Yeah. And, and did you get to work on relatively small teams earlier in your career? I mean, the, the Lego stuff seems like it required more help, but
1: yeah, so when I was at Blade and Dark Energy those were relatively small teams. I think they were probably 20 or 30 people most of the time, which is great because you you know you go to go and have a beer at the pub together, you're in the the trenches together and um you know I would probably change a lot of things about how we how how things were run and when I'm doing it myself, but um sure. Yeah, it was it was smaller teams. I mean at TT Games they were significantly bigger teams, but a lot of the times I was working on the handheld projects, they weren't enormous teams They maybe would sort of ramp up towards 40 or 50 people, but as a whole, the company is much bigger. And so there's much more of a um, process in place in terms of uh, different la- levels of management and, and what have you, which is great. It, you know, it was a fantastic experience in it and it's absolutely appropriate for what those guys are doing. And I really enjoyed it. But um yeah I think for what we're trying to do we're looking for a kind of a different um a different thing
0: yeah and i mean did did you get to maintain you hear all the horror stories throughout the industry did you have you maintained a pretty good quality of life while you've uh, been <laughs> on the job <laughs> no
1: I mean I've certainly got some horror stories um but I'm one of those people where uh i'll we i'll talk about the horror stories amongst the people that i went through it with mm. and perhaps with some um other trusted people in the industry but uh i don't you know i don't like to talk too much about it more publicly because i don't think it's necessarily fair um on people that were involved um and uh you know you, there's there's just there's just no point but um i certainly <laughs> have gone through plenty of horror stories but um yeah, we with uh, after a beer or two with people who are who are there with us. You know, <laughs> I talk about them, but um, yeah, I try not to. I try not to. I, I mean, really, you just want to get on with things, don't you? You just yes. want to move on and do <laughs> do cool things rather than dwelling on stuff that you think, well, that was bad and that was wrong. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I should just say as well, you know, um, I, I, I'm I don't want to imply that there's anything bad about companies i've previously worked at i mean uh, tt games is a f- fabulous company and, and brilliantly organized and they look after their people their people well for example so uh just uh just to be clear about that
0: yeah and and to be fair there's there's good hustle and there's bad hustle i mean like in in your father's time i'm sure he looks back and, and thinks yeah i, I you know <laughs> worked extremely hard at this because it's just the nature of the thing if if you want to uh you know, the, sometimes we're in the wild west and we have to <laughs> sort of make it work.
1: Absolutely, know. there's and you know, there's a difference. Somebody once told me there's a difference between um, pressure and stress. You know, pressure is something that's always going to be there and that is sometimes needed to really get you going. But 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 um, when things are overly stressful or things aren't being done in the in the appropriate way, that's a, that's a different story. But um, I think I've been fairly fortunate. I've certainly been through some 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 uh, tough ones but on the whole i'm still here and i'm still passionate <laughs> about it i i do know people who have left the industry and gone i'm not doing this anymore you know sure. uh, this I'm, i've had enough of this this is uh not for me so uh i must have had a f- relatively good experience to still be doing it
0: absolutely something i i, I love about the huey games uh i don't to call it marketing but some of the stuff you guys discuss on the website is the desire to sort of identify up and comers in the industry and foster a relationship with them much the way, you know, your dad's team did. Uh, I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think one of the things that's clear about the, uh, indie, uh, developers in general is we do need to work together. Uh, and, and you, 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 you meet a lot of people who are perhaps not familiar with the games industry and they come in and they're like, you guys are, telling each other everything you know you're telling each other what how your secrets and what works and talk to these people don't talk to that people in the you know in the industry i come from we would never dream of sharing uh, <laughs> these things with people who are technically competitors um but um and that's a nice thing about the games industry i think um people do appreciate that it's tough and the way that we all get through it is to actually help each other and that's the way you get a good reputation as well because nobody is going to want to work with you again if you know you've you, you've been kind of a bit cutthroat about things so um yeah i think i, I really like it I, and and i think that's um to be encouraged because it's really not easy it's not easy at all doing doing um indie development it's super tough and i you know i hate to say it but most people are going to fail. It's just the nature of the beast. There's far too many of us doing it, you know, trying to do it for, it to, for everybody to survive. So um, th- let's not make it worse by uh, um, by um, not sort of uh, sticking together.
0: I agree. We do such complicated stuff technically. Uh- and there there's so much to it, and I think there's room that we can sort of help one another along and still come Absolutely. out with just drastically different products and offerings Absolutely. and uh, I, I I can't think of many stories where somebody gave away what they were uh, no. working on technically and ended up you know burned by it. Uh, no
1: well, I mean the thing is it's uh, you you've you've um, you've hit the nail on the head there I, I think video games as a medium probably offer the broadest set of experiences um, compared to any other medium. I mean when when you think about, I don't know let's say you've got Candy Crush Saga on the one hand and you've got Red Dead Redemption on the other. They could not be more different right. as experiences but both of them are massively successful and you you just don't have that equivalent in movies or music or you know, the end products uh, okay, you've got different genres and, and what have you but those are totally different experiences, totally different scales, but both hugely successful. And so, there's a massive breadth of um, possible possibilities for for people to produce. And uh, as you say, technically, what 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 uh, developers are doing is uh, massively complex. So, the idea that someone that 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 someone's going to steal your idea, I mean, no, it's because they'd have to actually build it and right. as we all know ideas are the easy part execution is the is the real tricky part
0: yeah and it's it's no coincidence this was on my mind because i was just working on a personal project and uh it, it crossed my mind that i had just interviewed someone on the podcast who was uh, working on a similar framework and i i got in touch with him and i said uh and and I felt bad because he he was just talking about having a really hard time gaining traction in like the Steam Store and and uh, uh, yeah on on Nintendo Switch for example stuff like that and I said I feel weird asking this but would you mind letting me know a couple of things just as I get this project started with this framework and not only did he answer those questions he goes I actually have a whole video series about exactly how I built these projects and yeah I, you know you can go check that out and not only that but on the website of the framework itself. They said, "By the way, there's this video series, and it was his video series." <laughs> and I thought, yep. "That's that's how good these guys are about doing this stuff."
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's uh, it's it's great. It's a really nice industry in that sense. Everyone's everyone's very very friendly and very willing to to, to help each other. It's it's you know it's still tough. It's tough to. I mean, not everyone's gonna, no one's going to give you a free ride, but people right. are more than willing to to point you in the right direction.
0: Speaking of uh, the publishing side, do you, do you think you've had a significant advantage uh, that's sort of uh, spread out over all of your projects because you are sort of acting as a publisher for yourselves and for some other uh, developers also?
1: I mean, I think it certainly gets people's attention. You know, when I tell people that we self published Hyper Sentinel across all platforms um, and tell people, you know, how small our team is. Uh, you know, it raises eyebrows and people think, wow, these guys are, you know, doing this de- this development work, but they're also able to do the publishing. And I think it basically it's it's us saying, look, we're a veteran team. We know what we're doing. We've done this before. And we can execute across a broad spectrum of disciplines, which not, not everybody can do. So, yeah, it's a, it's a way of sort of proving ourselves. And that is one of the reasons we wanted to get a game out quickly, just to say, look, here we go. We've got a game out. We've done the whole thing across all platforms. And now we're on to the next thing. So it just establishes a reputation. And that is, I think, crucial. If you're starting out as an indie, ship something, get something out the door. Because the sooner you get something out the door, the sooner you've got a reputation, you've got something to point to, you can start to make money from it. And, and, you know, we're still finding ways you know more than a year on we're still finding new opportunities to make money from hyper sentinel for example which we didn't plan for uh, at release but once you've got a product out there you've got something to sell so uh, yeah you've got to you've got to ship something when you're indie make sure it's good make sure it's polished <laughs> but yeah. ship it
0: I think that's fantastic advice because I, I love indie games. I love indie developers and I enjoy supporting them. But you, you do when you look at someone who has a little bit of a, a record established and they've had a successful project or two, you do feel a lot better clicking that purchase button because you, you think it, it's not always fair because there are a lot of fantastic developers who haven't gotten to release something, but you do feel like this is probably going to work. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it's not just from a, and it, like you say, from a consumer point of view, that's the case, but also within the industry, when you're talking to people, you know, one of the first things they're going to ask is, okay, what have you guys done? So yeah, this is what we've done.
0: Yeah. It, it would definitely help, uh, as a developer speaking to a potential publisher also like, Hey, here's what we've done. going to yep. feel much better having that conversation, you know? Absolutely. Has, uh, has Kickstarter been helpful in terms of building a community for your games?
1: Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter is great. I mean, we've got a, a particular community that's uh, still quite heavily focused on the retro side of things because we started off with that book, as I mentioned, and it's a great platform for us. Is it enough to fund the entire cost of developing a game? Uh, not for us at the moment, but is it enough for us to do some cool things like the collector's USB cassette series? Yes, there's an opportunity there. So that's the way we look at it. We say, okay, you know, uh, we we got some money towards Hive Sentinel development, but it wasn't anything like enough to cover the cost of development. But we've got this fantastic community on Kickstarter. What is suitable from the point of view of being something that that community would be excited about but also something that makes sense from a business point of view and that's where the collector's usb cassette comes in and it's got off to a flying start so we're really really happy and excited uh, about that and it's something that we can we can keep doing and um we've already been you know putting a survey out to our fantastic backers and and getting their input on how to move this series forward and we've got some great data there so um it's a really way, a really great way to keep in touch with your community as well.
0: Yeah, and and in terms of other uh, locations for communities like Steam, I mean, it's impressive that you guys are doing very well with those audiences that don't necessarily know a lot about your uh, extensive background. Like those those games are performing very well. It seems like review scores are high. Uh, it seems like it's going pretty well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's the crucial thing, isn't it? If 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 you've gotten uh, if you're able to build yourself an existing community Um, and we were very fortunate and lucky to have that launch pad in terms of the retro side of things and we and we very much fostered that obviously you want to nurture that community and care for that community and deliver those guys the stuff that they want but also you're looking to use this as a launch pad to reach an even broader audience and so that's what we've looked to do and it's worked well with with hyper sentinel and um, with Woolly Mountain, we have people playing the games who you know nothing about that but are really excited about it. In fact, one of the nice things about the retro events here in the UK, um, particularly when we've shown Hyper Sentinel, is you get people coming along in their 40s and 50s who are like, oh, I remember, you know, I remember your dad's games from, from the 80s. And then they bring their kids along and stick them on Hyper Sentinel and actually simple retro gameplay really appeals to the kids as well they're like this is great i can jump in and start blasting stuff this is great fun <laughs> um and they get caught up in the emotion of it as well so you do reach a, a whole new audience and we've had things like um you know indie select with um indie gamer chick and and and, and stuff like that to really broaden the reach of uh of the games and had some fantastic feedback there so it's it's yeah we're we're lucky We're we're you know we're building things out steadily and uh reaching uh, reaching some cool audiences and uh J- i've got to say james lightfoot with the mystery of woolly mountain on switch you know he did his own kickstarter campaign and he had ron gilbert as a backer so you know <laughs> you can't get you can't get much better than that for a point and click uh, adventure game so um you know the developers th- themselves the smart ones like james uh, are doing that kind of stuff as well
0: I love that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Indie Gamer Chick, because uh, she was sort of indirectly responsible for uh, us speaking. A, uh, a a Patreon supporter and, and a fan, uh, Mark Feller, wanted to uh, sort of hear from her, and she wasn't available to do any podcast stuff, but she recommended that we get in touch with you guys. So Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. I actually... I'd actually forgotten, of course. That's, I had to
0: until that about. moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. So in, we got right. So we worked with the Strictly Limited guys, um, who, I'm, as I'm sure you know, they do limited run physical games sure. uh, based out of Germany, and we did the Hyper Sentinel PS4 uh, run with them. And as part of the campaign for that for that release. You know, they were the ones who suggested working with um, Indie Gamer Chick for for Indie Select. So that's how um, I first sort of developed that relationship. And then now we've got Droid Assault uh, running on Kickstarter. I said to her, look, can I get your feedback on, I know you know know a lot about uh, Kickstarter campaigns. Can I get your feedback on the campaign? Is there any way you could, you know, perhaps work with us to support it? And she was brilliant. She gave us fantastic feedback. Um, she loved the campaign, and um, she said, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's do the ver- the first ever Kickstarter select." And so we had codes for not only Droid Assault, which is what the Kickstarter campaign is focused on, but but some of our some of our other games. Um, so we're able to get exposure for them as well. So it's been absolutely brilliant. And the Kickstarter was funded in 48 hours, as I said. It's still live at the moment. So if anybody listening wants to check it out, it's uh, a tiny URL dot com forward slash cassette zero zero one we'd love to to get you involved in building this new um you know series of physical uh, collector's
0: games so i mean that was such a cool uh, networking opportunity because just a person connected to a person connected to a person and then everybody got to uh, sort of everybody wins i love that stuff
1: yeah absolutely and that's what it's all about that's another thing being an indie developer, you know, you try and go to as many events as you can. And a lot of the, I I always, this is a typical cycle when you're going to events, you think, oh, I've got to go and catch a train or I've got to go and catch a flight. And you think, ah, you know, is it, you know, as much as I'm going to enjoy going to this event from a business point of view, is this really worth it? Am I spending too much money? Is this the right thing? But 99% of the time, something will come out of it serendipitously some connection, some contact, some piece of advice where you think that was totally worth, totally worth it. So um, I always try and remember that and, and try and say, you know, try and attend and say yes to as many things as possible because networking is absolutely critical. And sometimes it's the events that you are least excited about or uh, no, from a business point of view, least expecting re- results from that actually deliver you that key contact or that key um, takeaway piece of uh, expertise. So, uh, yeah, a network. And, and of course, as you say, we can network online. I've I've never had the pleasure of, of meeting uh, Indie Gamer Chick, or yourself, indeed, in in <laughs> real life. But we've got the internet now, so um, we can network that way too.
0: <laughs> that's right and it's it's encouraging to hear you say that you have a lot of the same feelings i have before an event like uh ah, i gotta you know i gotta yeah. work out the schedule get up early travel and it doesn't always feel like something you want to do but ultimately it is anyway yeah <laughs>
1: that's right yeah you come you, you you know you come back the other end you're like oh i'm so glad. you know that was brilliant i'm so glad i went and i'm feeling that as i said i've just got back from pixel heaven in poland so i'm, I'm feeling that at the moment because it was a fabulous event and we, we met some some great people
0: yeah. What are some of the big uh, trade trade shows and events in your area? So from a
1: consumer point of view, um, the public uh, events are um, in the UK. We've got uh, EGX and EGX Resed. uh in London. We've got the more retro focused ones. We've got Play Expo. Um, we've got Revival and uh, we've got Insomnia. So those are all in the UK. Of mm-hmm. course, there's Gamescom um, in Germany, which isn't too far for us um there's reboot develop and nordic and from an industry industry gathering point of view we have develop brighton here in the uk which is kind of like a tiny version of gdc i suppose (laughs) (laughs) but it's where all the british developers go every every july to, to 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 connect together um we've got pocket gamer london and what else i'm sure i'm missing some others as well but um and there's retro events across Europe, you know, huge retro scene here. You know, and, and then we, uh, when we go out to North America, we, you know, obviously we, we go to GDC most years and been to PAX before, been to E3. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, you have, to, you have to pick and choose yeah. based on what you're doing. And, you, ha- you know, as much as you'd like to go to every event, you do have to think about um, suitability and cost. But it's always worth going.
0: Absolutely. And uh, speaking of retro, do you guys think you're going to stay retro or are you going to do some uh, more uh, modern game development in the future?
1: Uh, Both. So, So the two big titles that we're really excited about, one of them is what we're calling Neo Retro. So... Hyper Sentinel was Neo Retro in the st- in the sense that it's inspired by the retro style of games, but it's not a retro game. You know, it's a modern contemporary um, version of that because, you know, we could never possibly have run on any of the retro hardware, sure. um, for example. But um, so we've got one game, which is a Neo Retro style game, which we're massively excited about. It was revealed as part of the Kind of Funny Games showcase last year. So that's Wreck Out, which is kind of a mashup between Arkanoid and Rocket League so that's a kind of esports neo-retro title and the other game Mechanus is more much more of what you might say is a modern title and you know a next-gen title we're massively excited for that that's our big project and we can't wait to be able to show that but we want to show it when the time's right
0: very cool so uh, as as we sort of draw to a close here uh, where should people come check your work out and uh, follow along
1: yeah, so uh, the website is hueygames.com, uh, H-U-E-Y, by the way, for Huey. And on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash games. On Twitter, we are huey underscore games. And we're on Instagram as well. So, oh, and as I said, the Kickstarter is tinyurl.com forward slash cassette001. So, yeah, um, come and check out what we're doing. We'd love to, to hear from you guys. And thank you very much for, for having us.
0: Absolutely. This has been uh, very cool to get to learn about what you guys are doing and uh, consider me a new fan.
1: Thank you very much. It was, it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: You as well. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Thank you to our guests. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. If you want to go further, you can check out what we're doing at patreon.com slash codewriteplay. Look at some opportunities that our listeners get that nobody else gets. Follow the fun at codewriteplay.com where we post show notes and more fun stuff. And we're always working on new shows to bring you new articles, new site content, you name it. So keep an eye out. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yo and Ken were throwing the sign piece. America was playing real like Zaxxon in the Middle East. But no matter how much my neighbors said the world were in, I was determined to play missile command till the end. I wasn't a normal child who played with yak backs and crans because I liked how that trackball felt like the world in my hands.
0: Each star was a space invader. The sky was Galaga. Every day was a box fight.
1: The soundtrack was Metallica. This was back when the only snakes in my life were on Cupert and video.